evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. It's been a, a little, it's been a, a minute, as the kids say, since we had one of our live shows. Very, very excited to be back. And uh, we got a lot to talk about tonight. The last couple of weeks were, pre were pretty nutty in Alberta politics. We're going to pick, uh, There's there's just been so much we can't possibly yeah even though we started early tonight we can't possibly cover off it all but we're going to do our best to cover off some of the the bigger the, the bigger stories in the the Alberta politics realm because there's a couple of things that are going on that are kind of complicated and it's kind of what we do to break things down here with the side of humor so we're going to try to do that tonight um stampede's over so there's that one would think Hey, Stampede's over. We're done with all the silly costumes. We're done with all the cosplay. You would be wrong because this is Alberta politics. And the biggest story, somehow, one of the biggest stories of the last week, certainly one of the stories that's gotten the most attention, has to be the uh, the, the Donair costume. That's what we're, we're, we're starting the show talking about tonight, is a, a Donair costume. Um, so for anybody who hasn't been paying attention to the Alberta politics realm, there was a discovery that was made by a political journalist in Alberta named Catherine Grakowski. She put up like this, this lighthearted tweet that had an external link, no less. Now, for anybody who's familiar with how social media works, usually the quickest way to bury a tweet is to throw an external link into whatever it is you're doing because all of the social media platforms immediately go, oh, we don't want you leaving Twitter or we don't want you leaving Facebook or we don't want you leaving threads. So we're going to bury that down in the algorithm. But this thing blew up in a big way. So the story behind this is it's a Donair costume that was put up on the Alberta online auction. Story goes, it was commissioned and created as part of a campaign that was supposed to be drawing awareness to the dangers of uh, substance use and how you, you could get distracted sometimes maybe when you're using some of the, the substances. Uh, in particular, this one was targeted towards allegedly the, the use of the marijuana. Um, it never got used. It's been sitting in the, the Indiana Jones government-style warehouse for uh, a few years now. And they decided to uh, let it go. But it, this thing, much like the Donair itself has legs, the story grew legs. And if you take a look, you can see we pulled this screenshot off this morning and the bidding for the Donair has gone completely through the roof. It's currently at over $16,000. Now, a costume like this would normally cost a couple of bills, but $16,000 is a whole lot of money now of course with this with this uh with this this costume having gotten all of the attention that it has oh look it's a feel-good political story we haven't had one of those in a good long time who else how who can jump on that that bandwagon it didn't take very long for the premier of alberta to jump right on the bandwagon taste of edmonton festival she appeared holding hands with the donair as one does walking down the street with the donair because that's what premiers do now, I guess. Um, but she wasn't the only one. Because there were a lot of people who were like, Oh, look, she's posing with the Donair. It's, it's not wearing a bigoted t-shirt. That's just great. So there were a couple other people that wanted to jump in of them. And one of them gave us what has to be one of the most awkward photo, um, uh, photo ops. And that, that, that goes to Dale McNally. Or Dale Nally, sorry. He... Uh, he checked in on the warehouse it's like 
the worst version of the COVID photo ops ever. He checked in on the warehouse to make sure that everything was okay with the, the donair costume, as is the job of the Minister of Red Tape Reduction, I guess. Um, so that's our lead story. We started with something fun tonight because it's a bit of a dumpster fire otherwise. Moving into healthcare, there were some big conversations this week about Red Deer. There was a big story in the news about how the Red Deer Hospital was seeing up to a reduction and closing of operating rooms because of a shortage of anesthesiologists. Now, Red Deer Hospital has been in the news for quite a bit of, of time. It's been going on for a couple of years. It's well-known, city of Red Deer, they need a new hospital. And there's been a lot of conversation. There's been a lot of promises made. In February of 2020, Adriana LaGrange, uh, Red Deer South MLA, Jason Steffen, uh, who's, is he an MLA yet? I can't remember. He was on vacation. He didn't get to do his swearing in. So I'm not sure whether or not we call him an MLA or not. I think it's, I think it's in a couple of weeks that he does the swearing in. So former MLA, I guess, uh, Jason Steffen joined then Premier Jason Kenney. To promise construction would start in 2021. Now, if you look to your calendars, you'll see it's 2023. And in the mandate letter that was released by uh, Daniel Smith that she sent to, and it hurts to say this, the new health minister, Adriana LaGrange, um, there was no mention whatsoever of doing anything for the Red Deer Hospital. And this got quite a bit of uh, attention because this is something that Red Deer folks were promised. It's been campaign promises in not one, but two elections. Former Premier Jason Kenney, like I just said, made the promise with none other than Adriana LaGrange because that's, it's her constituency. That work would be starting in 2021. Now that she's the Minister of Health, uh, there's, no, there's no mention of it. But that's just one example of the continuing healthcare crisis that's going on across the province of Alberta. Daniel Smith has done a very good job of saying, hey, you know what, everybody, it's fine. Everything's fine. We solved the healthcare crisis. Uh, I said I'd do it in 90 days, and, and we, we fired all of the AHS board, and everything's great now. Um, but that's not the case. We saw yet another announcement. And it's important to realize this is coming as a series of rolling announcements out of the town of Milk River, where they're facing yet another emergency department closure. Now, what this means is everybody who lives in the area of Milk River who would have an emergency, also bearing in mind that Milk River is very, very close to the U.S. border, so there's a lot of traffic that goes through there, their emergency room is now closed and people are having to redirect it to other facilities, some of which are a fair distance away. But this isn't, again, it's not an isolated incident. There are currently 33, and they're called the service disruptions, that are going on across the province within the healthcare system. Now, these service disruptions aren't just like, oh gosh, the water fountain's out. It is, there's multiple examples of emergency rooms across the province of Alberta that are closed either for part of the day or for longer periods of time, like Milk River in some cases where we're looking at the better part of a week, where the people in that community no longer have access to emergency room facilities. But it also includes a stunning number of obstetrical or labor and delivery services. There's huge swaths of the province right now where if you're going to deliver a baby, 
you can't do it in the hospital in the community that you live in because there's no anesthesiologists who are available to deal with any possible complications. So if, if for example, there's a, a breach delivery or some sort of obstetrical emergency, there's nobody who's available to knock the mom unconscious so that they can safely get that baby out and save maybe baby and mom. That's just not an option in a huge number of communities across the province right now. So as much as Daniel Smith wants to say, hey, you know what, I fixed healthcare, it's really not all that fixed. And we're seeing lots of anecdotal stories coming out of both Calgary and Edmonton where they're talking about the fact that, yet again, ambulances and emergency services are starting to be depleted and feel overwhelmed. But Daniel Smith has kind of sort of acknowledged the rural problem. And when I say kind of sort of, I mean she's got some a fascinating strategy that she wants to deploy in order to try to solve the health care crisis that continues to go on across Alberta, but especially in rural Alberta, where these emergency rooms and these labor and delivery units are closing. Daniel Smith, who ran on the idea, AHS is bloated with management who ran on, we need to get rid of the leadership at AHS. There's too much leadership. There's not enough staff. We need to get rid of all of these middle managers. We need to make them go away. Her, her strategy for solving the healthcare crisis in Alberta is more managers. That's, that's the plan. So Danielle Smith, who campaigned on austerity when it comes to health care, her whole strategy that she's talked about in the last week has been, hey, you know what we need to do? Uh, if we want to hire people in these hospitals, uh, these rural hospitals, what we really need to do is we need to get local managers. As if local hospital managers don't exist. They, they do. By the way, they do. Um, but don't take it from me. Take it from Danielle Smith. What we're aiming towards is this blend because there are some great things that came out of the centralization. The fact that we do have the ability to have centralized procurement and get good prices when we go out to buy medical equipment and pharmaceuticals. That's positive. We, <clears throat> we do have a system where we can have centralized payroll and centralized legal and centralized technology. That's all great. I, I look at it as having managers come down to a different level. Right, Because right now all the managers are in AHS or at the zone level. I want managers at the hospital level. So maybe somebody who's currently um, under, in, under capacity at one of the zone levels, maybe we give them a little bit of authority and, and uh, ability to make decisions and they go down and they manage a hospital for us. That's what I think we can do. I mean, uh, it, I, I clearly do believe that there's way too much middle management. Mm -hmm. There are too many people who have the authority to say no and not enough people who have the authority to say yes and you give people the power, give them the resources, give them the authority to say yes at the local level, we are going to get so much better service and we're going to solve some of these problems that we keep hearing about. I mean, when I, and it's been a problem for a long time. I remember when I was in politics the first time, going to a hospital down south and they told me, well, you know, when we run out of bleach, we're not allowed to go down to the home hardware and buy a $5 bottle of bleach. We have to go through central procurement. When I went up north, uh, I was told that they had to truck their laundry three hours up the highway to high level because they weren't allowed to do laundry in their own in their own community. People were losing their you know their ear their ear hearing aids or their dentures, not getting them back. Some of the things just don't make sense. No, they don't. Sometimes you got you got to just make the decision to do things locally, allow people to have that empowerment to get better service. It's all got to be about the patient experience. It's 
it's it's fast. There's a lot to unpack there. I know I say that just about after every Daniel clip, uh, Daniel Smith clip that I play, but there is a lot to unpack there. I love the fact that she's talking about one of the biggest benefits of having the the centralized healthcare system is procurement because we can get stuff, more stuff for cheap. And then she says, but we have to have the ability to go to home hardware to buy bleach. Like there's just so much to unpack there. I mean, first of all, you're going to be paying retail. Um, so that's not great. Second of all, there's a supply chain question going on there, but it shouldn't come as a surprise that Daniel Smith wants to be able to just circumvent, uh, existing pathways to solve what she perceives to be as problems instead of addressing the underlying problem, giving the whole problem that we had with the Turkish Tylenol and the Turkish ibuprofen. That was a wonderful example of Danielle Smith taking advantage and making decisions and wasting hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, there's, there's that strategy at play. But that clip was from... Daniel Smith yesterday, because she's now doing your province, your premier up again. And that wasn't the only clip. That was the only thing that she said that she said that got a lot of people's attention because Daniel Smith also decided that she was going to take the opportunity to address the, the concerns that some people were having around the prospect of an Alberta pension plan. A lot of people remember during the provincial election, Daniel Smith was very, very clear. You know what? We're not going to campaign on the Alberta, the Alberta pension plan. We're not going to do that. It's not a thing that we're interested in pursuing. It's, uh, it's, we're not, we're not going to do that. That's not part of our, our platform. And yet here's Smith yesterday. We have tens of thousands of people take part in the uh, the fair deal panel discussions years ago at the start of the the mandate and we uh, and what they told us is tell us what it would look like if we had an Alberta pension plan tens of thousands of Albertans participated in that process and and I feel to be respectful of democracy we owed it to them to do the analysis which the government did got a report in 2021 but because of the timing it was right in the middle of COVID wasn't the time to release it and then when I came in, I was told that there were, needed to be an update to the report. It wasn't going to be available till May of 2023. So now it's available. I've been briefed on it and uh, we'll, be, we'll be rolling it out. I think people deserve to see what the numbers look like. They deserve to know how much Albertans have over-contributed to the plan. They deserve to know what uh, it would look like to reduce their premiums if we had our own plan or conversely, how much more they would get as a senior under an Alberta-based plan. Because I can tell you it's all of those things. We have over-contributed massively. If we had control of our own plan and we decided to put all of the savings into reducing premiums, it would be substantial. If we decided to keep the premiums the, to the, sa the same and just increase the amount we gave to seniors, it would be substantial. And people need to know that. And if they look at that information and they say, I don't care I still want Justin Trudeau in Ottawa to take these dollars and distribute it across the country because we're all Canadian right. and that's the way it works. I'm and, fine and with so that result. But okay. I think people need to understand just how much money has been transferred out of this province through that plan. And they need to understand that we have no control over how it's invested. They do not have a certain number of set seats on the CPP Investment Review Board. They take our premiums and then they make a decision in Eastern Canada about how it's invested. And they don't do that in Quebec. Quebec um, makes their own decisions sure, about but, how their money is invested. But they did that from the onset, though. They did it from the onset. It's very true. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's complicated if you want to, uh, at this stage, 
uh, 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 develop your own plan. But I think people need to know the numbers. They asked us for them. We're going to deliver them. They'll see it in the fall. And then um, my minister will consult. If if it's pretty clear that people are hunky-dory with the status quo, then we won't have a referendum. If people are outraged and say, my gosh, we've got to have a referendum and see if we need to move our own way, then we'll do that. I mean, again, I know... Y'all know what I'm going to say. So much to unpack here. But I just want to start with, like, who even says hunky-dory anymore? Like, that's uh, that's just a little bit a little bit too down-homey for me, I think. Um, but let's talk about some of the things that you said in there. First of all, Danielle Smith, most important thing, being respectful of democracy. That's why she tried to undermine it with the whole justice minister subversion of democratic principles thing democracy is very important to her when it's very important to her and it's very important to realize when it's very important to her um but there's a couple other things that we got we got to talk about first of all she wants she, she she's very clearly setting this conversation up to be yet another extension of alberta versus the world because in that little uh, diatribe that she went on there it was very very clear hey you know what uh y'all are getting screwed i have this top secret report and it says some things we're, we're paying too much money they're transferring wealth outside of of alberta to give to justin trudeau that's not how any of this works and she knows that and that's what the frustrating thing is that she absolutely knows that's not she should know one would hope but then again i refer refer back to the whole subversion of, of democracy thing, I guess. Um, but you should know that the pension board is run. It's run by a completely independent board. They're the ones who make all the investment decisions. Justin Trudeau has absolutely nothing. The federal government has absolutely nothing to do with how the money is invested. And that's probably one of the biggest things that bugs Danielle Smith, because she's been very clear in the past that one of the reasons why she thinks an Alberta pension plan would be a good idea is so that we could use that money to prop up failing industries. We could use that money to invest in oil and gas. We could use that money for anything other than ensuring the security of seniors. And she's got some very clever wordplay that she's using in there because she talks about the fact that, you know, I bet if seniors knew that they could be getting so much more money, if we went to an Alberta thing, I bet they'd probably want that more money. Let's take a look at what the biggest demographics are historically when it comes to voting. She's out of the gates. She's very, very clearly trying to buy seniors' votes. But she's also very clearly continuing to do the same strategy that she's been doing since pretty much before day one, where everything is Alberta versus the world. And it's a disingenuous way to have the conversation. There's no shortage of economists and experts who have weighed in and have said pursuing the Alberta pension plan would be an unmitigated financial disaster. The verdict's in on that. But it's also worth noting that Daniel Smith, when she's talking about, you know, if everybody thinks it's hunky-dory, garsh, that, uh, that she won't have a referendum. But if it's clear, whatever that means... And it's not defined what clear means. If it's clear that Albertans are outraged at how badly Justin Trudeau is taking all of their money, he's not, um, then maybe we'll have us a referendum. But again, it's important to realize that even if we have a referendum, any changes to the pension plan 
would have to be ratified by the rest of Canada. It's the same thing for changing the equalization formula. There's a certain number of provinces, and those provinces have to be representative of a certain amount of the population. That has to be met before any changes can be made or anyone can withdraw or do anything like that. So it's, again, it's, this is very clearly a tremendous wedge issue and nothing more. Because nowhere in that rant where Danielle Smith was talking about the referendum or how badly Albertans are being screwed, did she mention, oh, by the way, there's all of these other goals, there's all of these other benchmarks, there's all of these other requirements that we would have to be able to achieve before we pursued an Alberta pension plan. Moving on from there, we're getting into our two big stories of the week we're going to try to make some sense of. The first one has to do with contracts. Because there's some, some fascinating little contracts that have come up over the last little bit that have gotten quite a bit of, of controversy. The first one has to do with a firm that was led by the former Daniel Smith campaign manager, Matthew Altheim. They were awarded, immediately after Daniel Smith became the leader of the UCP, they were awarded a sole-sourced contract. Now, what a sole-sourced contract is, the normal way that the government is supposed to procure goods and services is they're supposed to say, hey, we need to buy some widgets. We need like 50 widgets. Um, anybody out there sell some widgets? Tell us what your prices are. What's the best deal that all of you widget distributors can give to us for widgets? And all of the widget distributors then say, okay, here's what I can give you on a widget. It's a really good deal. And the government takes a look at all of the different bids and they say, well, this is the best deal for Alberta taxpayers' dollars because that's what they're spending. This is the best deal that we can possibly get Albertans' taxpayer dollars for widgets. This is what we're going to buy. That's how the normal procedure is supposed to work. A sole source contract is when the government says, hey, because of reasons, we have to go with this person, this group, this organization for our widgets. We can't take the time because of reasons to go through that proper process, that standard process, we have to go, we got to move now. We got to make decisions as if we're the managers, the newly appointed secondary managers of hospitals. We got to buy some bleach from home hardware. We got to do these things. That's, that's kind of what a sole source contract is. And so what happened is after Daniel Smith was appointed, the campaign manager for her leadership race, his company that he works for, that he's a partial owner of, was awarded a sole source contract. Now, this is where we're going to start to unpack a boatload of things. That company is called Nordic Media. It's a little, little play with some bubbles because the North. I guess. Um, and a lot of people were like, oh, that seems kind of sketchy. That does. If you're going to be giving away uh, $70,000 just because uh, and, and you're not going to say why. And at the time, the original source source contract was actually pretty clear. It was for strategic communications and, and uh, a couple of other things. Well, a little while ago, story was broken by independent journalist Jeremy Appel where he brought to light the fact that it wasn't just that first sole sourced contract. In fact, there was another one, and then there was a competitive process to see who was going to take over the duties 
of Nordic media. There was, I think, 90 is the number. I could be wrong on that, but I want to say it was 90. 90 different organizations that put in bids to do the job. And somehow Nordic media still managed to walk away with a $1.5 million contract over a few years to do stuffs. Now, when Nordic Media first got the first contract, one of the things that was was said was that they were hired to make Danielle Smith's social media a little bit more punchy. They were going to do some memes. We're going to talk about their meme expertise in just a minute. But first, let's take a quick look at those two contracts. Because if you take a look, there was a contract that was initially created when Danielle Smith was elected for digital media strategic planning and asset development, which is a fancy way of saying memes. Um, and that was from November 1st of 2022 to January 31st of 2023. Now, in February, they got another sole-sourced contract. So again, another contract that nobody else was able to bid on. They just got it for $70,000, carrying them through to the beginning of March. And then... Like I said, Jeremy Appel broke the story and major media started to pick it up as well, where they were talking about the fact that this firm that is led by Daniel Smith's former campaign manager, Matthew Alltime, he got this contract, his company got this contract for $1.5 million. And there's a lot of questions that a lot of people had about that. But let's maybe to understand perhaps a little bit better about who is Nordic Media, what is Nordic Media, let's let's go through a little bit of the publicly available history of <clears throat> Nordic Media. So first of all, what are the services that they advertise most heavily on their website? Well, they fortunately, they do have a website and you can check that stuff out. They do everything under one roof. They do branding, they do creative, they do video production, they do advertising, and they do web design. So they're basically in the business of digital content creation. And they've been doing it for a while. Ostensibly, they've been doing it since 2009. And the story of how Nordic Media came to be is the story of two friends. Um, and they detail this on their website as well. So Jason and Matthew... Um, are, are two childhood buddies who decided to pursue the, their dream of digital media creation. And they've been doing it since roughly 2009. And they've been doing it for a bunch of different people. A few years ago, Edmonton City Councilor. So again, let's be clear. Sitting City Councilor, Mike Nickel, and Nordic Media teamed up to uh, create a one-hour current events show, allegedly satirical, um, but but as we'll see in a minute here, uh, that's not really what they were doing. Um, but a, a, a current events show called To The Point. This was back in 2014. The debut was in September of 2014. And they were going to run... Uh, a Facebook page and an online show. And Mike Nickel was like, you never know. Maybe we'll get picked up by a major market. Maybe I'll, I'll get to be a, a big time TV star. Goals are good, I guess. Um, but that was, that was the, the idea of the show. The show was hosted off of the website that was Nordic Media's website before their current website. 
So they were very closely inter intertwined. And in fact, Matthew Altime was the, the producer of the show. It's not very often we have to throw in uh, uh, content warnings, trigger warnings. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to do that right here um, because the show came to an abrupt halt, and the reason that the show came to an abrupt halt was because it got in quite a bit of hot water for a meme that they created. Now, just to be really clear, the next couple of minutes are going to be referencing sexual assault. So if that's uh, something that's triggering for you, go find a YouTube video of bunnies for like a minute and a half. Um, but we need to talk about this. There was, a, there was a, a lot of debate as to whether or not we should actually show the meme in question. There's nothing particularly graphic about it. I want to throw that out there before I put it up. But there is some key information in there. And there's some key information that was actually missed in the initial scandal. So we want to spend some time talking about that tonight. So here's the, here's the meme in question. So this is the To The Point Facebook page. This is a picture of convicted rapist Brock Turner. Brock Turner was convicted of sexually assaulting a woman who was unconscious. Um, it's got Bill Cosby in the background, giving the, the thumbs up. And in the foreground, in front of Bill Cosby and Brock Turner is uh, Sleeping Beauty. So it's pretty obvious what's going on here. The, the caption written by the show, we couldn't resist. We're just going to post this here and see what happens. Now it blew up pretty quick. Uh, and they did end up deleting it fairly quickly. But uh, there's one other thing that we couldn't find any reference to in the multiple news stories that covered this particular uh, meme, this edgy little meme created by the, ostensibly by the production team at Nordic Media at the time. Um, if you look at the top of the screen, underneath the logo of To The Point, this isn't just a incredibly poor, poorly taste uh, rape joke. This is an incredibly, an, an incredibly poor taste rape joke that they paid to have put in front of people. When you look at the logo, underneath the to the point title is the word sponsored. So this wasn't just a dumbass, stupid, offensive meme that these guys decided to put up. This was one that they put up and then created an advertising campaign for. To get it in front of as many Facebook people as they could. So this isn't just a, haha, we weren't thinking. This is a very clear and a very deliberate strategy. Now the show very quickly was, was pulled, canceled, I'm not too sure what the, the, the word was. Mike Nickel apologized. Uh, he said that it was in, in, in very poor taste after the fact, after he paid for ostensibly, because it's got to be either him or the production company that's paying for, for the ad, one would think. Um, he apologized uh, and, and said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to put the show on hold. But he's not the only one who apologized. Matthew Alltime also issued an apology on Facebook. We pulled this off of a blog that covered the, the whole issue. Uh, and Matthew Alltime said, I made an error and, mis and my mistake in my producer duties at To The Point. And then he tries to say, it seems like 
but you know there's there's comedians who who make jokes about the same subject matter so you know there on may 19th 2016 an event was held by comedians in edmonton called rape is real and everywhere these comedians were also victims i've been thinking about how this has changed the dynamics for conversation after seeing the bill cosby meme uh shared a day ago on our page i made a judgment call whether to leave it or remove it in the past i was a firm believer in not censoring any content on the show's page that will need to change I sincerely apologize for the Bill Cosby slash Brock Turner meme that made its way onto our Facebook page. The buck stops with me and I take full responsibility. But again, it's not just that it's made its way onto the Facebook page. It's that it's made its way onto the Facebook page and then was amplified with advertising dollars. That's who got the two sole sourced contracts. That's who got the $1.5 million contract. Just some context. Moving on from there. The other big story that's been dominating the conversation this week has to do with the, um, let me get this right, Premier's Advisory Council on Alberta's Energy Future. And this stemmed out of a global news report that was done by Safe Kaiser. He uh, did a whole story of how it turns out that this uh, council that was commissioned very, very quietly by Daniel Smith to define the future of Alberta's energy and the Alberta's government's relationship with Alberta energy and how we're going to deal with the, the cleanup of abandoned wells and orphan wells and all of that kind of stuff. This report, it was not going to be made public. It had been classified as being just advice for the Premier of Alberta, just policy advice for the Premier of Alberta and her cabinet, and it wasn't going to be released to the public. Now, the chair of this particular uh, council, from the announcement, and this is where it starts to get really kind of interesting, because in the run-up to the election, Daniel Smith was taking almost every opportunity that she could to, if not have a press conference herself, make sure that one of her ministers uh, was having press conferences. Every major policy announcement that they came out with, they were like, and now it's time for a press conference. We know because we live tweeted a lot of them. There were a lot of them. Um, but uh, this, this particular initiative didn't have any of that fanfare. It was very, very quietly announced without any kind of a press conference where they announced the five-member panel will be chaired by David Yeager, a respected leader with more than four decades of experience and expertise in the energy industry. He will be joined by uh, Hal Kivzel. Sorry, Hal. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, Bob Curran, Carrie Arnett, and Phil Hodge. The quote from Daniel Smith. I'm excited to bring together these skilled and experienced energy experts to help us plot a path forward for Alberta's energy sector. We all know the world needs long-term energy solutions that are responsible, reliable, and affordable. Now is the perfect time to create a panel of experts to look ahead to the future of our energy sector and how we can meet global energy needs in the year ahead. So we got to talk about... Uh, we got to talk about Dave a little bit. This is Dave, by the way. This is Dave. Um... This picture, true fact, uh, we did not choose this picture because it was 
Dave making a, a fascinating facial expression. We chose this picture because it's the picture that he used for his bio on the Canada Strong and Free Network uh, website bio. So blame them, I guess. Um, but uh, Dave, he's been around for a bit. He's done a, done a few things. Um, we got a bio we were able to find for Dave. We're going to throw that up on, the, up on the screen right now. That's not the bio. That's the bio. David Yeager, president, CEO, nearly five decades of oil field experience and oil tool experience. Founder, officer, and director of three successful TSX-listed oil company, oil service companies. Extensive experience in capital formation, mergers and acquisitions, operations management, significant success in commercializing new technologies and business models. How much is Alberta paying for the, the expertise that we're getting for Dave? Well, speaking of sole source contracts, there's a sole source contract for Jaeger Management Limited um, for the advisory council on Alberta's energy future. $60,000, taxpayers' money is going towards uh, Jaeger Management Limited to put this, this report that they're never going to be able to read together. Um, but there's, there's, you know, there's always you know, more to people when if you just take the time to get to know them. And we wanted to we wanted to take a little bit of time to try to get to know Dave a little bit a little bit better because he's spending sixty thousand dollars of taxpayers' money uh, for a report. So you know he's got he's got his little little bio that we read there. What else is what does Dave do? Well, it turns out Dave actually is uh, he's quite the writer. It turns out uh, he's been writing for none other than the Canadian Energy Center. That's right, the UCP War Room on almost a monthly basis. Since uh, since 2021, uh, he's he's been he's been pretty busy. He's got over 30 articles, and and for the record, and this is my favorite part. If you if you Google him and the Canadian Energy Center, it doesn't list him as staff writer. It doesn't list him as journalist. It doesn't list him as policy analyst. It lists him as author. I just. I love that so much. But he's written over 30 articles for the UCP War Room. Uh, and again, on a near monthly basis. But he's done more than that, too. Um, we can thank Dave, it seems, for Premier Smith. A little while ago, he wrote a post where he talked about the fact that I met Danielle Smith 14 years ago when we asked her to consider becoming leader of the Wild Rose Party. She did. And then he goes on to tell the story about how he educated Daniel Smith as to all of the things that have to do with oil and gas. And she's just the bestest of all of the best for representing oil and gas. She's going to be so, so, so great at, at doing the oil and gas things. So let's be clear. Dave, by his own admission, is the person who asked Daniel Smith to get involved, to get to be involved in the Wild Rose and become the leader of the Wild Rose. But that's not all that Dave has in regards to connections with the Wild Rose. Turns out Dave actually ran for the Wild Rose in 2012. He ran in Calgary, Hawkwood. And he came in just a, just a hair behind uh, Jason Luan, who at the time ran as a progressive conservative. Only lost by about 2,000 votes. So yeah, Dave's got a, he's got a pretty good background in the politics. He's got a pretty good background in the Wild Rose. But Dave was not to be defeated. Not. He was to take uh, that close of an election defeat as the end of his political career because he became the Wild Rose president. 
He was the Wild Rose party president right up until Danielle Smith left the Wild Rose in December of 2014. And from what we were able to find out on Dave's CV, he left as president of the Wild Rose at roughly the same time that Danielle Smith left as leader of the Wild Rose to cross the floor to the PCs. This is a fascinating series of coincidences. Um, since then, he's continued to work in oil and gas, including as the president of a company called Winterhawk. Now, Winterhawk is where we actually got that first bio from. And when you take a look at what Winterhawk does, they do well abandonment. So, yeah. We're talking about orphan wells. We're talking about abandoned wells. We're talking about remediated wells. And if you listen to any of our conversation with Markham Hislop, which we broke into two parts, um, as well as many other conversations that we've had throughout the last year and a half, one of the biggest environmental and financial disasters that the province of Alberta is going to have to face over the coming decades is what are we going to do? with almost a quarter trillion dollars in cleanup that isn't getting cleaned up by the people who said they were going to clean it up. And in fact, this was something that, again, that Global News reporter, Safe Kaiser, asked. He did an update to his story. Yeah, you're of Winterhawk well abandonment. Wouldn't comment, citing a confidentiality clause in his contract with government. However, he did say, Winterhawk well abandonment does not do well abandonment. We rent tools that can be used in well abandonment process. <laughs> so we're not actually doing the work ourselves. We're just renting the tools and making the money that way. Now, Daniel Smith has said there's absolutely no conflict here. There's no, no conflict whatsoever with this person who's uh, writing the future energy policy and the plans to clean up the abandoned wells in the province of Alberta also being in a position to stand to profit tremendously from uh, doing well cleanup. Daniel Smith doesn't see any kind of a conflict there at all. Clearly neither does Dave because he took the job. So no, no conflict there. But it's also important to remember that Daniel Smith is the person who has been championing since she's been premier and lobbying for before even that, the program called R-Star, which instead of saying to oil and gas companies, hey, you made a mess of your room, you should clean it up. Instead of saying that to them, it says, hey, you made a mess of your room. We'd really like it if you clean it up. And if you do, we'll give you money for free for doing the thing that you promised that you were going to do anyways, but we'll make it sweeter because we'll just give you taxpayers money. That's... That'll help you clean it up, right? And we saw the federal government try to do the same thing where they gave over a billion dollars to oil and gas companies for well cleanup. And what we saw was major oil and gas companies going, oh, that's fantastic. We're going to use that money for well cleanup, but we're not actually going to spend any more money than we already do on well cleanup. So a billion dollars of Canadian taxpayer money went towards subsidizing oil and gas cleanup already. And those companies, instead of using the money that they're supposed to use from the m money that they made yarding this stuff out of the ground, they use taxpayer money. Well, Daniel Smith wants to do that on a much, much larger scale. Now, 
everybody and their dog has said, this is a terrible, terrible program. This is, this is polluter pays. Uh, this is, or sorry, this is a violation of polluter pays principle, which is to say that if you're the one who makes the mess, you're the one who has to clean it up. That's literally the way that the law is supposed to work. This would be a violation of that. And it would set an extraordinarily dangerous precedent in regards to who has to deal with environmental disasters that are caused by corporations that make billions and billions and billions of dollars in profit. That's what this is. That's what Daniel Smith has proposed she wants to do. And now she's got Dave, who she's got this extensive history with, writing a report that no Albertans are going to be able to see but they both say it's no conflict because it's not like they do any actual rel well remediation work. They just rent the stuff out. Unless, of course, you look at their website. Because when you go to about Winterhawk from their own website, Winterhawk Well Abandonment was founded in 2015 to conceive, develop, and commercialize new technologies and methods to assist oil and gas developers to improve the economics and profitability of their new existing and mature production operations in three key areas. And then they list off five do with that what you will well-born operations mature asset retirement annual communication and surface leakage annular communication and surface leakage contaminated site reclamation methane and ghd emissions reduction so they're literally saying that their reason for existing as a company is to improve the economic, or sorry, is to conceive, develop, and commercialize new technologies to deal with, in part, contaminated site reclamation. It's not like, though, they have, like, patents pending on anything, though, is it? Oh, wait, yes, they do. When you take a look at, at the site remediation, the reclamation part on their website, they talk about how they're developing site reclamation technology. They talk about how they're using technologies that were used in the Gulf War in Kuwait to deal with the oil spills that happened there, how they're adapting those technology and changing them and patenting them for use specifically in Canada. But again, just to be super duper clear, there's no conflict. It's almost laughable. Because the problem that we have, in a nutshell, is we have corporations that are supposed to have this responsibility to clean up their abandoned wells. They're supposed to make sure that the wells that they're yarding money out of the ground with are cleaned up and remediated properly. And they're not doing that. Some of them are. But they're not doing it nearly aggressively enough as the province needs them to. They're not doing it because governments successively have not created a regulatory environment that says this is, these are the things that you have to do. But in order to fix this problem, in order to address how do we get these CEOs of oil companies to take responsibility for their money-making ventures and to clean up their bedrooms who does danielle smith plan on listening to she's crystal clear there's no conflict of interest here look he put together a panel that had over 150 different ceos of, of, of course i'm going to take advice from ceos who else would i take advice from who else would i take advice from so we have ceos of companies that have created the situation where we have 
wells and oil and gas infrastructure across the province that is going to cost again a quarter of a trillion that's with a t dollars to clean up and who are we going to ask how we should create a regulatory environment to ensure that these things happen in the way that they're supposed to happen and in a way that the taxpayer doesn't get screwed we're going to listen to 150 CEOs because who else would we listen to? We got one last little segment for you. Then we're going to wrap it up for tonight. We're not going to be able to do an open mic tonight because of a couple of technology challenges, but we will be back for our open mic next Sunday. Really looking forward to doing an extended show to catch up on some of the things that we need to catch up on as well as it's Alberta politics. And we haven't even talked about the fact that the premier's chief of staff endorsed somebody who has a history of anti-Semitic comments um and is a covid conspiracy theorist we haven't talked about that this week we're going to give it that a little time to breathe and we're going to talk about it next week but we're going to have a really big show next week with our regular open mic session um but before we do the part that at least some of you have been waiting for we've been we've been doing doing some foips and this is in our ongoing series we, we made a graphic and everything um, are you foiping kidding? <laughs> that's, that's our graphic. It, it would be much better if there was like an audience and we could do like, are you foiping kidding? But we don't have that. So just imagine it really, really hard. Um, we've been doing a bunch of foips lately and we've gotten back some responses that we've detailed in other places. We got back, uh, one where we asked about, Hey, so, uh, Dr. Henshaw, she was hired kind of, and then fired. Definitely. Um, how did that play out and did anyone have anything to do with it and we got a a, a foip response from that one that included uh, a single email response to a journalist even though multiple journalists we know made inquiries so we didn't get all of the information that we asked for some of which we were told as part of the, the justification is because it would endanger the safety of law enforcement so we got all kinds of questions about that one but we're here to talk about two things two things only tonight on June 16th, shortly after Restaurant Gate, we'll call it Restaurant Gate, where Daniel Smith posted a picture claiming to be washing dishes at the restaurant that she and her husband owned, um, maybe still own, we don't know, um, but it was the restaurant that she and her husband owned and she was helping out as an owner. Uh, washing dishes because the dishwasher broke. Ah, oh, she's just like us. It's like she's a real person. Um, people people were like, hey, so there's a lot of questions. A, how come none of your clothes are wet? Uh, how come there's no water going anywhere? Uh, how come you're wearing open-toed shoes in a kitchen? How can you be helping out in a business that you're the owner of? Isn't that just running your business? There were a lot of questions. Um, but most of the questions started up two days later when after that social media post triggered a bunch of news stories which triggered a bunch of free media coverage and then daniel smith announced oh by the way we're selling it in fact she didn't even announce it there's just a couple of people that were like hey there's this real estate listing for this restaurant that looks exactly like the one that you own and now you're selling it two days after you established this social media free media shit show that doesn't seem right that doesn't seem uh ethical it doesn't seem like it's uh, respectful for democracy, let's say. 
Maybe it's exploiting your position a little bit. People responded by saying, nah, -uh, it's, it's her own personal social media. She can do what she wants with that. Well, on June 16th, we submitted the FOIA asking, hey, um, who exactly runs that social media account? Who, who has access to that account? Can we, get, can we get a list of the people who, who have access to that, that AB Daniel Smith Twitter account? If we could, please. Can we get that? Thank you. And we also asked for the number of blocked accounts because it's been an ongoing conversation ever since Daniel Smith first started re-entering politics. Uh, she's, uh, she's pretty hot and heavy with the, the block feature. She blocked us after we asked the question, hey, Danielle, um, you, you raised all this money for a lawsuit that never happened where you were going to sue the federal government to make sure that everybody had access to the vaccines that you wanted, and then they made sure that everybody had access to the vaccines, and then you donated all the money to the JCCF. It, you didn't happen to get a tax receipt right off for that, did you? We got blocked for asking that question. Um, and a lot of other people have been blocked. Max, Fa Max Fawcett is a journalist who has been blocked. There's lots of other people who are extraordinarily active in the Alberta politics realm who have been blocked. Some people who say they've never even encountered or interacted with the Daniel Smith account. They went to go there to say something and they'd been preemptively blocked. We submitted that request on June 16th. On June 17th, there was an extension. We had been advised that an extension was granted due to... And I'm going to read the quote here. Your request involves a large number of records. The response due date for your request is extended 30 days under Section 14.1b of the FOIP Act to allow Executive Council to provide you with a complete response to your request, which is given that we were asking for the number of blocked accounts, just really, really funny because there's an extensive number of, of, of records, large number of records. That was, that was funny. Um, we got that. That was given to us on July 17th. On July 19th, boom, baby, we got the results. Two days later, we got the, the extensive records that it had taken more than a month for the, the executive council to, to put together because there were so many records that they were going to be providing for us. The, the, the PDFs were groaning, groaning under the weight of a single email. We got a single email response that simply said, uh, hey, if you want to know how many, how many Twitter users the Premium of Alberta has blocked, drumroll, we made a graphic. 3,612. There are 3,612 blocked accounts by the Twitter account AB Danielle Smith. It took the one of the high-ranking communications officers, uh, officials, a month and change to come up with the. You have to go into like the account and like check your blocked accounts. Then it gives you a whole number. They had to they had to look that up and see how many accounts there were. So the Premier of Alberta currently has with blocked with her Twitter account three thousand six hundred and twelve blocked accounts. Now this is where it kind of gets fun for two reasons. First of all, the, that email included a terse little, little phrase. Uh, we're requesting that the FOIP client must use the context provided if they report on this number. Now, we're under no obligation to include the other number that they wanted us to include because that's not how it works, but it's fun, so we thought we would. Um, one of the other pieces of information that they, they volunteered 
it was crazy. We asked, we send all these flight requests asking information. We don't get any information. We ask this one and all of a sudden we get all this extra information. It's fascinating. Um, they wanted us to say that they believe that of those 3,416 blocked accounts, sorry, 3,612 blocked accounts, 2,416 are probably bots. So I don't know how they, they determine that. I don't know what sort of advanced metric they use to, to determine how many of the blocked accounts are, are bot accounts, but they believe 2,416 of the accounts that the Premier of Alberta's Twitter account has blocked are bots. But that's not the best part. Because we only got one name for who manages the Premier of Alberta's Twitter account. And given that uh, we also, taking a look at Danielle Smith's social media, including her, her Instagram and her Facebook, there's a lot of, of similarity. A lot of the things overlap. They're posted at the same times. It's the same content being posted in the same ways. It's reasonable to assume, and it's an assumption to be clear, but it's reasonable to assume that uh, whoever is running her, her Twitter page is also running her Facebook and her Instagram. And if you haven't guessed by now who it is that's running the Premier of Alberta's Twitter account, Nordic Media. It's just delightful. So the same company that got the two sole source contracts that's run by Danielle Smith's former campaign manager that just won an open competition between 90 other companies for one and a half million dollars is the company that runs apparently on the day-to-day -day, based on the information that was provided to us by the, 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 the premier's right-hand communications person, Nordic Media which is all kinds of wild because that means that by the time that Premier Smith has done her first three years, taxpayers will have paid upwards of $2 million to a private company to run her social media. Now for context, because the, the, the staffer, the executive staffer who, who sent us the email clarifying how many blocked accounts, 3,612. The Premier of Alberta currently has eight people working for her in communications. I wonder how many of them make upwards of $2 million over three years. Because I'd be willing to bet it's not that many. That is our show for this evening, as always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we'd love nothing more than if you signed up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at our Patreon website at www.patreon.com, where for as little as the price of a fancy cup of coffee a month, you can help us to continue to produce the kind of content that we do to continue to submit all of these wildly entertaining FOIP uh, requests that we do. Um, and you also get the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that uh, you're, you're probably pissing off some pretty powerful people by 
by supporting us. Um, you also get early access to all of our interview episodes. So we have uh, a bunch of interview episodes that we've just put up. All of our Patreon sponsors got uh, early access to those. And we've got some exciting ones coming up over the next couple of weeks as well. We're already starting to gear up for September because there's a going back to school thing and we're already starting to see some controversy around what the the process of educating and hiring teachers is going to look like we're going to talk about that more next week but we've got a couple of interviews that we're going to be sharing over the next couple of weeks with that and all of our patreon supporters get first crack at that so www.patreon.com slash the breakdown ab as always i want to say a big thank you to all of our patreon sponsors i want to say a big thank you to everybody who has been active in the chat tonight there's a lot going on in alberta politics it's only going to get more nutty so as always this is where we do the make sure that you're taking care of yourself make sure that you're giving yourself some some breaks and most importantly Keep the conversation going.